Hello and good evening. Welcome to the Castro Files. We're back. Baby's back. (laughs) Back again. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Is that how how we do this? Mm -hmm. That's how we do this Castro's file thing? Castro Files thing. Um, Thank you guys so much for joining tonight. Or this afternoon, this evening, whenever you guys watch the show. Morning. Morning. Could be whatever. Um, Yeah, we were on little vacation. We still had stuff come out, though. Yeah, absolutely. We had had the uh, Farm From Hell come out. That was a good one. That was a really good one. So we're back with a couple news stories tonight. We've got... Or a few news stories, even. Yeah. We've got some creepy ones to, to share with you guys. But thank you so much for tuning in. We've got some, like I said, some cool stuff to go over. And first and foremost, we're back. We've got, uh, first go out, subscribe to the YouTube channel, if you don't mind. If you're already out there and you're watching this on that, go ahead and hit the like and subscribe button. Hit the little notification bell for us, if you don't mind. We'd appreciate it. It always helps. We share this on the Bar is Open with Beth and Greg uh, podcast website and on the Castro Files YouTube channel as well. So it's always good to try and build a little bit on that one. Taking a little bit of time, but that's okay. It's yeah. good. It's how, that's how YouTube goes, right? Um, we also post all of the photos out onto the Castro Files Instagram, Instagram channel. Right. So if, you, if you're listening, you're on one of the multiple audio channels that mm-hmm. we share this with like you know itunes spotify right. iHeartRadio, all of those you can and you're listening along versus anything else you can go out to the castro files instagram and you can find all, all the, the images out there so yeah. with that said let's get on to the stories what do you say mm-hmm. sound good right into yeah, it let's awesome do it. so do you want me to start or you want to start you go ahead all right so we were in new hampshire this yes. past, or a week, a little over a week ago, we yep. were in New Hampshire. A week ago. We got home a week ago. I guess, yeah, we mm-hmm. did. But we started touring around and doing a little bit of uh, sightseeing. Right. Because I grew up stuff. in Hampton, New Hampshire. I think I've mentioned that probably a couple times, right? Um, but the cool thing about it is it's very, very old, number one. Right. We did a little sightseeing around Portsmouth, kind of checking out some cool stuff up. That's a little north of where I grew up, though. Yes. I grew up in, like I said, Hampton. And Hampton is known for a particular witch. Okay. From the the mid 1600s, so our town was incorporated wow. in 16. I, I think it was 1637, right? Yeah. Again, it's a seacoast town. We only in New Hampshire, you only have 12 miles of seacoast, which is very interesting. Um, and then crazy. it jumps up into Maine. Okay. Right. So it's Massachusetts, a little bit of seacoast, and then you're in Maine, right? Right. Um. But just inland, about a mile and a half, is the town of Hampton. You have Hampton Beach, and then you have Hampton. And that's where this first little story is going to kick off. So I'm going to be talking about witches tonight. What are you going to be covering? Um, possessed demons. Uh, demons. In, in house. Yeah. So kind of a possessed house. It's going to be creepy. It's, it's good. It's a good story. Okay, good. Yeah. So kind of a little highlight it's there for It's not quite you. as old as your stories. Yeah. Everything that happens in New England is, is old. old. That's, yeah. yeah. So this is around the same time of like the Salem witch trials and like this thing, this poor woman <clears throat> was tormented for years by the community, <clears throat> okay. right? They thought she was a witch from like the like get-go. The bowels right? of For hell. some reason, right? <laughs> and... And we'll get to some of how she was, was like her identified as a witch. Yeah, we'll get into a little bit of that. And then I've got another 
interesting story about the Bells Witch. It's like a ghostly Bells Witch. So let's jump into the into Eunice Cole, or otherwise name uh, known as Goody Cole. So virtually, this is Eunice Cole. This is from the New England Historical Society. Eunice Cole, the Witch of Hampton, who could not be stopped. Virtually the entire town of Hampton, New Hampshire, believed Eunice Cole was a witch. Town officials hauled her into court to face charges three times in 24 years from 1656 to 1680. The court convicted her once, yet the, great, the greatest magic feat she accomplished was dying peacefully in her own bed. Eunice Cole was, and her husband, William, were servants indentured to Matthew Craddock, a Puritan, and the first governor of the, Mass, of the Massachusetts Bay Company. Though Craddock never left England, he actively recruited English settlers to move to America and take part in his new venture. In 1637, when Eunice would have been four, about 47 years old, she and her husband came to Massachusetts. They promised to pay Craddock 10 pounds for, leasing, for le- releasing them from his service. The Coles were first offered land in Quincy, Mass., and in Exeter, New Hampshire, which is right next to Hampton, and finally settled on a 40-parcel acre in the land of Hampton, New Hampshire. The Coles followed, followed the Reverend John Wheelwright, a somewhat controversial Christian minister. William, a carpenter, never prospered in Hampton, though he, he and Eunice were accepted members of society and attending meetings, and attended meetings. Eunice, by all accounts, was a difficult and unlikable person that probably contributed to her I'm legal sure. problems. She was just, if you're just grumpy, I guess. Yeah, grumpy. <clears throat> Excuse me, right? So, Eunice Cole, witch. In, six, in fi- 1656, Eunice Cole was taken to Boston to stand trial for witchcraft. She faced charges that included brink- bringing sickness on people she feuded with, killing their animals through mysterious ways, and even knowing secrets about people she could only know through aid of the devil. <laughs> the court definitely declared, definitely declared Eunice guilty of familiarity with the devil. Think about that. Interesting. Right? That's just an interesting way to put it. But there is some debate about whether Eunice was actually convicted of witchcraft. Some say she was, but others believe the court convicted her of a lesser crime because it didn't order her execution. Remember, again, there, it was... The witch trials. Public, yeah, mm-hmm. executions. That stuff was common back then. Rather, she was ordered to be whipped and imprisoned for as long as the court thought appropriate. Will- William Cole apparently did not miss his wife much. Though he did miss her labor on their farm, with Eunice languishing in prison, William turned to the townspeople for help with his daily needs. The townspeople provided it, but it could not use his property as a means of payment because he had deeded it to Eunice. She had apparently threatened to leave him if he did not. Interesting. So she was going to bail out. Give me something or like, I'm give gone. Give me something or, yeah. yeah. William Cole petitioned the courts to return his land to him, though he apparently did not ask for it for the return of Eunice. Recidivist. Eunice did get herself freed from jail. However, by arguing that her aging husband needed her help, by doing that, 
But before she could get herself free, William had managed to get the deed to the couple's property returned to him, and he promptly died. His death set upon a dispute over the land. In invalidating Eunice's deed, the court had ordered the town to take the property and use it to pay for Eunice and William's care. William, meantime, meanwhile, had written a will that left the property to a neighbor. That's always nice. The court stepped in and settled the matter, giving half the estate to the neighbor and half of it to the town, of course, for support of Eunice. Eunice did not stay free for long. The terms of her release from jail required that she leave the colony within one month rather than depart. Eunice went back to her old ways soon she was back in prison. She faced charges of slanderous speech in in and out of prison over the next 10 years. In 1673, she was again formally charged with witchcraft. This time she was accused of attempting to lure a young girl into living with her, taking various animal shapes and causing a neighbor's oven to produce foul-tasting bread. Interesting. That's a big deal back then. Yeah. There's only so much yeast yeah. in 1673, <laughs> right? Unconvinced of Eunice's, that Eunice's crimes met the legal requirements for a finding that she was was a witch, the court did conclude that there was reasonable suspicion that she had familiarity with the devil again. Okay. Charity case. Eunice's care was now up to the town, the up to the town of Hampton, which provided her with a small dwelling. Each family in the town had, had to take turns providing her with food, uh, food and fuel. In 1680, the townspeople made one final attempt to have Eunice convicted. They gathered, uh, gathered up all the previous charges and added a few more. Once again, she went to court. The court, however, unpersuaded, was unpersuaded. Eunice was allowed to return home. With Eunice Cole nearing 90, one day in the in That's October. Really old back then. Yeah, think about it, yeah. Probably 1600s. Made more of a witch in their eyes. Right. Yeah, cause even now. Yeah, <laughs> right? that's, a, that's a feat. Yeah. So one day in October of 1680, several townspeople remarked that no one had seen Eunice for several days. Proceeding to her home, they found her dead. Legend, she's 90. Legend holds that the townspeople hastily dug a grave and tossed Eunice's body into it. They then attached a horseshoe for luck to stake to a stake and drove it through her grave. I did read another alternative story or about the stake part is that they drove it through her skull. Oh Lord. Like per they wanted They wanted her gone. Gone. Yeah. <laughs> she's not getting she's not getting out of that one. Okay. Right. Interesting. Eunice's Eunice Cole's story was immortalized in poems by John Greenleaf Whittier. In six in nineteen thirty eight, the town of Hampton finally corrected the area error of its ways when it adopted a formal resolution ag- acknowledging that Eunice Cole was not a witch. The Hampton Public Library remains or maintains a thorough collection of materials related to Eunice Cole at its website as well. So interesting, though. It really is. And it's funny because the, the town did not like her. And yet they were the res- ones responsible for taking care of her. So I wonder right. if that's why they kept trying to get her back in jail. Exactly. Because so, she probably wasn't grateful for it because she's all well, angry this, with them. If she was just a grump, you saw how small that town is. Yes. Like, and just imagine the center of town. And there's a church over here. And like, it's probably much smaller than it is now. And it's yeah, small. Yeah, absolutely. It's small now. Like we have 
I think, well, the Burger King went out of business there. <laughs> so, right? Yes. And there's a McDonald's in our town. Yes. But there's no other, like, fast food. There's a Wing It where the there's, Burger King used to be. But that's a local chain kind really of thing, good. right? Yeah. Um, but you go, like, yeah, even today, it's still a small town. Right. Right. By, and town, by city sizes, it's tiny. My dad was the barber in this town. He worked for the barber right. when he was a young teenager. Okay. Right. And then he bought the barber shop later on. And then, you know what I mean? That's, yeah. it's like that type of a town. It's really, it, it's just interesting. But now go back 300 years. Yeah. Or it's kind of amazing. More. Like, I wonder, like, when you said she was 90, I forgot that I knew she lived to higher years. I didn't realize it was 90. Um, that right there probably had people saying there's something because most people. When the average age maybe was 65. No, I don't, know I don't even was. think it was 65 back I just, then. Yeah, I think, maybe. Uh, it was probably like 50. So, so now she's almost doubled that and she's crotchety. She's seen it all is what happened. She just, people were like, that, that's the devil work right there with right? that woman. Yeah. Absolutely. So it was an interesting story. So what you see on the screen there is the little memorial monument that they made, made to her when, like I said, in the 30s or whatnot, they, they said, hey, we, we were wrong. Right. But it took until the 60s for this to get to put build. in there. Right, so another 30, 40 now, years. Now, that area where it's at, is that where she lived, or is that just where they That's just it? Tuck Park, so nobody knows where she okay. lives. Okay, Right? So that's one of the Because it'd be kind of cool if that's where she lived to go back there at nighttime right. and see if she's around. Yeah. But if we don't know where she lives, it's kind of impossible. Yep. It's pretty, it's pretty cool. Yeah. So you'll see just another story for another time. There's a little kind of, uh, right, looks like, what would right look corner. like a well mm -hmm. next to it. That's Thor... Thorville, hang on, hang on one second. I, I forgot his name. It's Leif Erickson's brother's stone. Remember we were talking about that? And I was like, I think this is Leif Erickson's brother or something like that. There's evidently some runes in that little stone. Yeah. That's an old timey kind of story that I can go into another time. But it was, it's cool. interesting. So, yeah. So that's the story. It's Eunice Goody Cole. It's very famous. And by the way, that is that park. It's Tuck Park in Hampton, New Hampshire. It's directly across from my, where my mom lived. Right. And then it's right behind that is where my high school is. Yeah. We drove by that. I drove by that every day, and I don't think anybody really paid attention yeah. to the history of it. Yeah. Well, cool. your kids. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it's kind of neat. Yeah. So the other story I have while we're on the story of witches, this one's a little bit different. Okay. So this is more of this is a tale. Right, you gotta get to it's the more top like a of it. Ghost story kind of thing. So it's a ghost story version of the Bell Witch tale. Okay. While we're on the on the witch thing, on it is it is Halloween, it right? Is. So it is. why not? So this is from the Tennessean, and it is just a quick editor's note. It says this ghost story version of the Bell Witch tale, written by Nicole Garten, was originally published in Tennessean in two thousand and one. Okay. So. Something was trying to get in. Asleep beneath her quilt in 1817, Betsy Bell awoke in the dark to the sound, to a sound, a knock at her door. But no one was there. Night after night, doors were pounded, windows banged on, and the flapping of wind, wings sounded against the roof. Betsy's father and brothers, who would examine the house, but in the moonlight that shone on their cabin, they found nothing. As the days went by, the sounds grew louder and more frequent until they, until they shook the cabin with their force. Maybe they were caused by earthquakes, Betsy's father thought, but no one else in the neighborhood was affected. Maybe they were, 
the work of scoundrels up in up to mischief, he guessed. But the culprit could never be caught. Then one night, there was scratching sound. There was a scratching sound inside the Betsy's room, like a claw scraping on the floor. Yikes! It had gotten inside. Every night after that, the noise kept the twelve-year-old Betsy and the rest of her family awake and scared. It moved throughout the house, getting worse and worse. Finally, when we in quotes, finally when we would search for a rat in our room, the same noise would appear in the sister in Sister Elizabeth's chamber, disturbing her and arousing all the family. Wrote Betsy's little brother Richard Williams Bell years later. Then one night. While Betsy huddled under her quilt, the covers slid off as if someone was pulling them. She could hear sounds, hear the sounds of smacking lips and gulping and choking. Yikes. Soon a member of the family soon members of the family regularly were having their blankets torn off. When Betsy and her brothers tried to get them back, an unseen hand would slap them. It also began to pinch them, hit them, and pull their hair. The family finally had to admit the truth. They had a ghost. Wow. Then the ghost began to talk. The voice would laugh, sing, curse, and sometimes recite prayers and sermons. The spirit seemed to like Betsy's mother, Lucy, but hated her father, John. The ghost also seemed to hate Betsy and was especially abusive to her. Not only was the girl slapped until welts appeared, but she started having fainting spells. Betsy would start panting or gasping for breath. Sometimes she closed her eyes and lay as though she were dead, losing her breath for as long as a minute. Then spells would pass. Then the spells would pass and she would be fine. When Betsy felt like she couldn't take it anymore, her parents sent her to her friend's house to spend, t- spend the night. On her first night away from home, Betsy ate supper with, with her best friend. They talked for a while and then they headed to bed. They just snuggled under the covers when a knock sounded at the bedroom door. Then the door flew open and a blast of wind blew out the candles. The covers were jerked from the bed. The girls jumped up to close the door and found it had never been opened. Wow. People accused Betsy of making up the ghosts and creating the noises herself using ventriloquism or making her voice sound like it was coming from someplace else. But soon the hauntings grew beyond anything a 12-year-old girl could produce. When a strange strange nervous condition made it difficult for John Bell to chew or swallow, he blamed it on the ghost. He knew he couldn't keep the family secret any longer. Once word got out, concerned friends and curious strangers visited visited the Bells to hear the rantings and ravings of the ghost, which had become known as the Bell Witch. The Witch was a torment, not only to, the, to Betsy, but to John Bell. The spirit haunted and threatened him. More and more, he would suffer spells and facial contortions, which forced him to take his bed. Take to his bed. In 1820, three years after the haunting began, John's son found him unconscious. In the cupboard, uh, cupboard there where John's medicines were kept, his sons found a strange bottle. The witch laughed and said she gave it to him. She said he would never wake up. And he never did. And that's the end of the story. He was like the the Bell Witch. He was poisoned supposedly in real life. Yep. So they don't know if a family member did it or if it was those ones give you kind of the creeps, but right? Yeah, that's a just because it's a simple, straightforward story, right? And you're like, okay. But back then, could it have been just a met? Well, I mean, doors don't just fly open. No, especially like well, well, but the door didn't fly open. But it didn't. Was it? Were they? But do you have? 
mass hysteria i think was kind of a big thing back then um right a lot of the 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 witchcraft thoughts were that girls were mass hysteria group thinking and were saying that people did this like specific women this to them and they would get the town people to buy into it and make this person a witch that's the witch that's the salem witch trials right and you go but that like okay so did he have some other illness or something so real quick here there's another quick image this is actually this was carved into a a wood press oh that's cool right where they and then they printed this so i can't see it from here because I don't have my glasses, but uh, this was printed in in a paper a long time ago, and it's got some it's got some notes on it. Yeah, let me see if I can find it real quick. Take two seconds. Um, But yeah, it's pretty interesting. There we go. A woodcut illustration from the authenticated history of the Bell Witch, 1894, depicting the death of John Bell Sr. And this was in the Leaf Chronicle. Leaf Chronicle Archives. Interesting. So a couple of interesting, cool yeah. little uh, stories there. Stories. Those were good. Yours, I have a feeling, is going to be a lot creepier than mine. Um, and it's a little longer than yours, um, but it's a good story. Absolutely. I'm down. Um, Let's again, go. It, it's coming from Hannah J. Tidy's Horror Stories, Terrifying Real Stories of True Horror and Chilling Murders. Yes. <clears throat> this one is called Demons in the House. All right. All right. <clears throat> so... Uh, so imagine that you finally found your dream home. It's a big house, a sprawling property, the right size to entertain visitors in gracefully, the perfect distance from work and school, and most importantly, the right price. Ben and Jamie Shea found such a house. Hey, dreams come true, right? But sometimes we also forget that dreams can turn into nightmares too. What do they say about something that looks too good to be true? You're about to find out. Awesome. In October 2003, so fairly recent, uh, Jamie and Ben Shea were looking for their dream home. They finally happened upon a house in Markham, Arkansas. The house was old but beautiful. It also had enough space to house their family of five, being Jamie, Ben, and their three children, Tori, Bridger, and Jackson. There were beautiful trees around the house and plenty of room for the children to play. It was a short commute for Jamie, who worked as a legal assistant in a neighboring town, and Ben, who worked, at a nur- worked as a nurse in a factory located nearby while earning his degree. When the Shays were viewing the house, they came across a bedroom on the second floor littered with candles, pentagrams, and other occult symbols. While the couple was initially disturbed by the sight, yeah. they didn't overthink it. Ben assumed that local teenagers may have gone into the house and just messed around. Without further ado, the couple made an offer on the house and it was accepted. The Shea family soon moved in and settled down to a routine. Ben worked the night shift at the factory and came home to sleep after two in the morning. He would then leave for his classes. Jamie hired an experienced babysitter to take care of Jackson, who at the time was a one-year-old. Everything seemed to be moving along fine. One day, after Jamie had left for work, the older two children were at school. Ben was fast asleep in the bedroom. The sitter was supposed to be taking care of little Jackson. Suddenly, Ben woke from the sound of Jackson, their infant son, crying. The noise was coming from the baby monitor kept next to Ben's bed. At first, Ben thought nothing of it, calling out to the sitter to take care of the baby. The crying, however, persisted. Ben called up and called out to the babysitter again, but got no answer. Groggily, he made his way up the stairs to the baby room, still calling the sitter. Ben again got no response. When he went into the room, what he saw completely surprised him. Jackson wasn't in the crib. 
there was just the baby monitor. Still more puzzled, still, still no more than puzzled, Ben went backstairs to the living room where he found a note that the sitter had left saying that she had taken the baby and gone shopping and would be back soon. There was no one in the house apart from Ben. Baffled, he knew he hadn't imagined the, cri- the cries, yet there was no signs of where the noise could have come from. Freaked out, he couldn't make heads or tails of what had just happened. Ben decided to say nothing to Jamie about it. Okay. Bridger, Ben and Jamie's five-year-old son, had the bedroom where they found the candles and the symbols. Before he left for work, Ben made sure that he spent time tucking Bridger in. One night after Ben had gone to work, Bridger was fast asleep when he awoke in the middle of the night. By, he was woken in the middle of the night by loud noises. It sounded as though there were a lot of people in the room. They were all talking at once. Bridger was terrified. He ran out of his room and went to his parents' bedroom downstairs where Jamie was sleeping. He told her that he had heard people talking in his bedroom. Jamie assumed that he was having a nightmare and just let him sleep with her that night. On the same night, eight-year-old Tori, whose bedroom was down the hall from Bridger's, was woken up around 3 a.m. by the sound of one of her brother's toys turning on. When she went to check out what was making the noise, she found out that the toys were laying all over the floor and Bridger wasn't in his bed. Tori assumed that he was hiding told him to put his toys away and go back to sleep. But upon leaving the room, she heard the sound of many people talking at once. Hmm. Frightened, she returned to her bedroom. Yeah, I would too. But don't you want to know where the kid is? Well, no, she's a little sister. I mean, she's a big sister, but she's not that old. Okay. So she was more concerned about... Get the hell out. Yes. Let me get back in my bed under my blankets. <laughs> oh, shit. Like, mm-hmm. somebody's having a party in this room, but right. it ain't me. Right, and I can't see who it is. <laughs> the, um... The Shay didn't mention the strange happenings that they were witnessing to each other, and nothing else happened for a few more weeks. Then one night, while the kids were asleep and Jamie was sitting and working on some accounts, she suddenly heard footsteps. Jamie got up to investigate because it sounded as if the children were running up and down the stairs. She called out to them to get back in their bed, but got no response. When Jamie went back to the table where she had been working, there was a sudden bang in the next room as if the door had just forcibly banged shut. She ran back out and saw no closed doors that could have made the banging sound. Jamie then went upstairs to check on her children and found them all fast asleep. Hmm. Soon after these incidents, the sitter told Jamie that she heard Jackson crying through the baby monitor. But when she went up to check on him, he was fast asleep. Jamie was disturbed enough that she decided she had to share the strange occurrences with Ben. That weekend, she told Ben about what the sitter had experienced. Faced with this reality, Ben could no longer put aside his disquiet and said Jamie that he and, dis, and said Jamie that he also had had some strange experiences. Suddenly, while talking about it, they were interrupted by a noise. It sounded as though a ball bounced up and down. Ben went up to check on the children and found them all fast asleep. Bemused, the husband and wife had very different reactions. Ben tried to dismiss the noise like the sound of an old house settling down. Jamie was not so confident. She started seriously wondering whether their house was haunted. Uh, Maybe. Yeah. Determined to investigate, Jamie went, Jamie went to the local library to look up haunted homes in the area. Imagine her shock when the librarian helping her out told her that not only had she, the librarian, grown up in a haunted house, but that her haunted childhood home was the same one Jamie no shit, and her family right? were living in now. I was just like, I was going to yeah, come on. Yeah. Um, the librarian told Jamie that a little boy had fallen out of the second floor window and died. The window belonged in the same room that Jamie's son Bridger now slept. Jamie got worried and asked the woman if she'd ever felt afraid while living in the house. 
The woman answered in the negative. She said she believed that the ghost of the little boy just wanted some attention. Okay. That, I'd feel more comfortable with that. That answer? Than thinking the alternative, which is like the pentagram, all the stuff thing happened. You know what I mean? The symbols and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Hold on then. All right. The activity in the house (laughs) quieted down as the holidays came closer. One night, Jamie was sitting at her computer table taking care of some paperwork. The computer switched off and the monitor was dark. While working, she happened to glance up at the computer screen and saw she was, and uh, sorry, she glanced up at the computer screen and what she saw behind her froze her blood. There was a dark, oh, I just got goosebumps, dark <laughs> shrouded figure standing right behind her. Ugh, she could see yeah. the shadowy figure reaching out. More frighteningly, she could feel the mysterious figure standing there. Scared out of her wits, Jamie called Ben at work. Almost incoherent with fear, Ben told her about what she, uh, she told Ben about what she had seen and felt. Ben tried to reassure her and promise her that he would be home as soon as possible. Jamie no longer believed that the ghost of the little boy was haunting the house, convinced that whatever lived in the house was evil. Yeah, we did the episode on mirrors and stuff, man. Reflections, period. Yeah. Because well, you just think you monitor, shut off your dark monitor and you can... There's it's still, a perfect mirror. I mean, it's not as clear as a mirror, but you can definitely... Which is even hmm, probably worse. Weirder, yeah. Because at least in a mirror... It's like a pure image. Right. Je- I mean, it could be a whole... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, after this strange phenomenon stopped for some time, but Jamie's apprehensions didn't go away. She still felt the presence of evil in the house. Her suspicions were soon justified. Jamie had picked up Tori after school one afternoon. The two were driving home with Tori in the back seat and Jamie talking to her. Suddenly, out of nowhere, a barrel seemed to appear in the middle of the road. Jamie braked hard, but she'd been going too fast and her vehicle flipped. Oh no! Jamie managed to crawl out of the uh, managed to crawl out of the vehicle, but she was horrified to see that Tori was face down on the ground, pinned underneath the car. Mm-mm. Her injuries were substantial, and she was rushed to the hospital immediately. When the couple arrived at the hospital, they received more bad news. The doctor thought that Tori's back was broke. She had compression fractures in quite a few of her vertebrae. The Shays were anguished and paralyzed with desperation, wondering if their daughter would ever walk again. Eventually, the hospital released Tori back to her parents. She was able to come home two weeks after the accident, just in time for Christmas. However, she was bedridden. It would take long months of recovery and physiotherapy, also known as physical therapy, mm-hmm. uh, before she could regain the use of her legs. For oh, several weeks, she was able to good. Right for several weeks afterwards, Ben and Jamie were too focused on Tori's recovery to pay much attention to any, unex- to any unexplained activity. However, that all changed one night. Bridger came downstairs complaining that people were in his room again and weren't letting him sleep. Disturbed, uh, disturbed, Jamie left her son with her father, with his father and went upstairs to check on the baby. Fortunately, the baby was sleeping like, well, a baby. He hadn't been disturbed by the noises that had frightened his brother. Unsettled, Jamie went back downstairs. She and Ben agreed that Bridger would sleep in their room that night. All went well until the couple and their son fell asleep. Suddenly, Jamie felt as though someone was tugging at her hair. Assuming it was her husband teasing her, she asked him to stop. However, when she turned around to look, Ben was too far away to have done anything. Mm. While the couple looked at each other in shock, the bed started to shake violently. So it's king-size beds. Right. (laughs) They jumped out of bed and Jamie grabbed Bridger while Ben went upstairs to get the baby. They spent the night in the living room with Tori, who had been sleeping there since her accident. Who hasn't? Why? Okay. It's why haven't they gotten the fuck out of this house? I'm sorry to swear, but (laughs) like, right. I know. Come on. Let me finish. 
<laughs> Let me finish. Burn it down. Right. Right. Like Motel 8 isn't that expensive. <laughs> right. Or La Quinta or something. Yeah, but what are you going to move there permanently? Well, bring, I don't know. Right? All right. Well, let me keep going. All right. After enduring that night of terror, Ben and Jamie decided that they needed help to figure out what was going on in their home. They got in touch with the Central Arkansas Society for Paranormal Research, or CASPER. The researchers agreed to come and check out the house. Once Tori's were covered enough to be moved, they sent her to the sitter's home along with her siblings. That night, the investigators arrived. It was a husband and wife team who had also brought along their daughter. Alan Gold concentrated on finding evidence to verify the hunting, the haunting. His wife, Angela, and their daughter, Violet, were psychics. Another paranormal investigator, Karen Schilling, accompanied them. Karen had discovered that the house was more than 200 years old, used as a way station or a stopping point in long journeys at one point in time. The fact that so many people had lived in or passed through the house made it fertile ground for paranormal activity. Angela and Violet decided to walk through the house to figure out if they could feel anything. In the meantime, Alan set up his equipment, con uh, consisting mainly of cameras in all the rooms. When the two women got to the second floor, they immediately had a bad feeling, and that feeling seemed to originate from Bridger's room. When the two psychics went into the room, Violet sensed that there was someone in the room besides them. At first, the presence seemed benign, perhaps frightened. She felt that it wanted to make connection, but with them, but was too afraid. Suddenly, the room filled with people, all talking loudly and giving general feeling that the two women shouldn't be there. And then, all the loud noises with the people talking dis uh, disappeared as quickly as they had appeared. And the two women were fearful as the presence that came next into the room radiated pure evil and was devoid of any humanity. The women went back downstairs and told Jamie and Ben Shea about what they had found. Angel decided to try to communicate with the different spirits. She pulled out a Ouija board... Ben wasn't too impressed and decided to handle the planchet off the board so that there was no pushing and pulling. So you need to make sure there was no funny business. Note to self, don't use a Ouija board. Uh, Angela started asking questions of the dark entity. At first, nothing happened. However, soon the planchet began to move in response to the questions. What is your name? The word Seth, S-E-T-H, was spelled out. After a few more questions that got an indifferent response, Alan decided to ask the spirit when it had lived. The reply was chilling. Never, it answered. It's a, I was going to yeah, use the F-bomb, demon. This answer shocked the investigator and the couple alike. They weren't dealing with an ordinary spirit here. If Seth had never lived nor died, chances were that he was a demonic entity. Ben removed his finger from the planchette and held on to his wife's hand. When he did that, the planchette started moving all by itself. Ellen asked the entity whether it had, uh, I'm sorry, Alan asked the entity whether they had seen it. The answer was yes. Suddenly, the planchette moved across the board and pointed towards the monitor that was connected to the camera upstairs. Alan switched on the monitor. The whole party watched in terror as a black shrouded figure moved from the hall into that Bridger's room. Dude behind her in the... It seemed to be floating at the time and swaying at, at another. Its movement were genuinely inhuman. Most of all, there was such a palpable sense of evil and malice emanating from the thing that everyone assembled in the living room downstairs could feel it. Yeah, I got chills reading that part. Um, <laughs> yeah, dude, because seriously, like, come on. It's like right upstairs. Yeah. Burn the house down. Like, there's no other option. The investigator point, right? asked the Shays if they had done anything such as fortune telling or conjuring attracting the entity. The couple replied no. 
Then they remembered that they had found what they had found in Bridger's room before moving in. All the signs of an occult ceremony. Yeah, back. That, yeah, sorry. Yeah, it's but okay. it's back to that's what the room was, yeah. right? Yeah. The investigators looked concerned. They said that whoever had performed the ritual left some sort of gateway open, the through which entities such as Seth could get through. This is what they feared had happened. Angela and Violet decided to perform a ritual cleansing to drive the spirit evil spirits away. As though it had overheard their plans, the mood suddenly started making the planchette move again. Then the lights started to flicker. The two psychics lit sage and started chanting a prayer, asking God to protect the house and to help get rid of any negative spirits that resided there. They let the smoke infuse every part of each room, starting in Bridger's room. They felt as though Seth was pushing against their chest, trying to get them to leave the house. They persevered, however, and after a protracted battle, were able to drive Seth away from the property. To ensure that he couldn't return, they drew a line of salt around the house. Since salt is considered a pure substance, it's believed that evil and negativity cannot cross it. Right. Once done, they went back in. The atmosphere in the house had changed completely. There was a lightness in the air, and the heavy feeling of oppression was gone. There was no sense of evil and menace that lived in the house alongside the family for so long. The entity was gone. But the human spirits who had been trapped there by it would stay. But there was no sense of evil for them, said the investigators. The Shays thanked the investigators profusely. A considerable problem resolved, and their children would now be safe. The kids got back the next day, and for the next several months, the family enjoyed living in the house with no evil presence or strange occurrences to mar their happiness. Tori had recovered entirely from the horrific accident and was back to normal. The family considered her recovery a, a miracle, considering how badly her injuries had been. But sadly, their very free and happy days were not to last. I was just going to say... Yeah, that was a temporary fix, right? The weekend after the kids had gone to bed, one weekend after the kids had gone to bed, Jamie sat in the living room working. She was talking to bed when suddenly they heard an unearthly sound behind them. They turned to see Bridger standing there. Stunned at the noise, he had admitted, Jamie asked him if he was feeling all right. Bridger made no reply. He just stood at the bottom of the stairs and stared at his parents. Concerned, they quickly moved to him, and Jamie caught hold of his arms. All at once, it was as though Bridger had woken up. He stared at himself and looked at his parents in terror. How did I get down here, he asked them. Ben and Jamie were horrified. They believed that the entity called Seth was gone. There had been no paranormal activity, no unexplained noises, and no sense of oppression in the house. Now it felt as though all of it came rushing back. Jamie lifted. Jamie left Bridger with Ben and ran upstairs to get Tori and Jackson. She ran into Jackson's room and grabbed him from the crib. As she ran out of the room, she heard voices. There were two of them, and they kept getting louder and louder. Terrified, she came out of the hallway, facing away from Bridger's room, and found Tori standing in front of her, transfixed with terror. When she turned towards her daughter, she realized that Tori was staring at something behind her. Slowly, Jamie turned around. The sight that met her eyes was unbelievable and genuinely horrifying. There, in the doorway of Bridger's room, stood what looked like the same entity that they had driven out many months earlier. Jamie couldn't believe her eyes. It seemed as though Seth and all the evil that Magnificent Present had at its disposal was back in their house. Jamie grabbed Tori and ran down the stairs. She was terrified and kept thinking that they weren't going to go through this again. The family left the house right then and there and piled into their minivan. They knew if they continued to live there, they would have to go through the terror all over again. The next day, the couple put their house on the market, and they moved to an apartment in the area. Soon after, Ben got his degree, and so the family made their home far away from what they had once called their dream home. How the evil, how the evil entity came back in the house or how the entity got in is something of a mystery. 
They've speculated that the gateway that was opened by the people who performed the occult rituals before the Shays moved in was too powerful and could not be properly closed. The evil void would be opened permanently. Therefore, even though Seth was gone, other demonic entities could continue to find their way into the house. The family gave up on their dream home, realizing that the unfortunate place was going to stay haunted, and and they decided to make a new and happy life for the family elsewhere. While a lot of skeptics may point out alternative explanation, there's no doubt whatsoever that something strange and unnatural was happening in that house. Credulity is not something that we seem to be. Credulity was not something that seemed to be the case here because Ben at least was not a believer. However, what he and his wife and children personally witnessed and underwent changed his mind. There can be lots of reasons evil is present somewhere. Maybe it has been invited there or perhaps it merely existed in that place all along. One cannot speculate. There are limitless explanations. However, faith and good intent go a long way in removing this evil from our presence. Angela and Violet demonstrated their faith and useful purpose. They also showed strength and determination in the face of evil and were able to chase it with chase it out with the force of their conviction and good intentions. This is perhaps the real reason to be the real lesson to be learned from this tale. Yeesh. All right. So I saw you taking notes. Couple questions. Yeah. So, do you buy a house regardless no. <laughs> that has a pentagram no. and some stuff? And, Oops. Symbols and, and You know what I mean? Like, to start with, I don't think yeah, I do no, either. I don't Not either. the shit that or we... Or if you do, you bring somebody in first and be like, okay, what's house. here? We'll bring a psychic in and be like, okay, this is what we found here. Before we yeah. buy it, can you tell me what's going on with it? And some people don't believe in it, but if... I don't know. You don't have to. It's up to you. You make your well, decision. Well, didn't believe in it. Yep. Good deal. Too good to be true. Right. I don't know. Maybe. But. Um, yeah, I don't buy it. So when the babysitter, I didn't. So it was like with originally he was hearing voices through. Didn't he know the babysitter had taken know. the baby? No. He thought they were home because he was asleep. That's Remember, a- he works late. Oh, and then the baby. Okay, that's what it was. That's where the piece was. So I was like, wouldn't he have known that the babysitter wasn't home? No, because he was asleep. Yeah, he was asleep. And And then I already had, was it a kid ghost? But we already clarified uh, that. They think it was was a kid ghost. Probably a kid ghost, as long as some other, as well as some other spirits there. Yeah. That were trapped there because of the demonic spirits. Right. So we've got a couple pictures here. The first one is what you would really imagine. A 200 year old house. Like a 200 haunted year old house. In what reality of like super creepy houses you guys may recognize this one if i can get it to go maybe maybe not come on give me one second i'll sure. pull it in maybe i didn't pull it in i'll fix it real quick just take two seconds yeah. um is it, i mean oftentimes it's just a main street house right right well what you think what it should look like isn't the reality go. of what it could look like. So right. I think it just that's took a, very a famous right finger to house do it. as well. So that's a very famous house that Zach Baggins bought. B- bought, right. And there's a whole Called backstory. The Demon House. The Demon House, yeah. right? But it's just a Main Street house yeah, on any block, Yeah, it looks just like block, every other house everywhere. on that one, street. It's one, two, yeah. three Main Street. Yeah, as right? well as that older home probably looked exactly like the houses that but were that there. that one is just still or at one little time. Little dilapidated, it's gigantic. That's Their what, house was, that's a movie what house. we say, 200 years old. Yeah. So it definitely Pro- had a lot of history the New it. England stuff, yeah. right? And so, you go except about this was in Arkansas. I know. Which is kind of funny. Well, but, I mean, 200 years ago really isn't that long yeah. ago. When I you mean, it is, but it isn't. State, like in the world or yeah. in the United States history now. So 
awesome story, honey. Thank, Thank you. you so much for sharing of that course. one. Thank you guys so much for joining us tonight. That's our stories Hope for you this guys evening. Enjoyed them. Um, but we upload, like I said, on Sunday evenings generally. Um, I'll have this out there, and it'll be on all the audio places shortly thereafter. There you go. Um, please follow us on. The Castro Files on Instagram, on YouTube, on all the places. You can download the audio out on The Bar is Open with Beth and Greg. You can find Beth over on Instagram at LaMama07. You can find me at Greg Lamontane as well if you want to follow some of our stuff. And then you can always follow, follow The Bar is Open with Beth and Greg. Absolutely. So, cheers. Thank you so Bye, much. Bye, guys. Have a great Have a week. Great night. Thanks, honey. Thanks. Awesome stories tonight. Bye. Cheers. Have a great night. Bye.